Glad you could join us for another episode of Catholicism, Not Just for Dummies. In this episode, we are discussing the Eucharist. More specifically, Eucharistic miracles, but we also touch on... Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, and then the teachings of the Church with regard to the Eucharist. Uh, uh, even some of the philosophy of the Eucharist. Right, yeah, we can get into some philosophical categories. Sounds like fun. <laughs> So please join us. We'll see you soon. We are your hosts, Father Andy the Greater and Father Andy the Lesser. Buckle up, we've got a lot to cover. This is Catholicism, not just for dummies. All right, so uh, I just got back from a pilgrimage to Italy with the St. James Coffee House, and so... <laughs> And uh, actually, and speaking of St. James Coffee Shop... In honor to them, we're mm -hmm. making this recording in St. James Coffee Shop. In Rochester, Minnesota. So if you're ever in Rochester, Minnesota... Coffee House. St. James Coffee House. House, okay. Yeah, so if you're in Rochester... I think it's actually just St. James Coffee. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, so anyway... <laughs> They were kind of the sponsor for the trip through Adventures, Adventures, and we had 42 people. Father Randy Kazel went with us. Okay. And um, one of the places that we went to was Lanciano. It's on the eastern coast of Italy, and there is a Eucharistic miracle there that is 1,200 years old. Now, it's not the oldest it's probably one of the more most well known right yeah i don't know which one would be the oldest but so uh maybe if you want to say a few things about the eucharist first that lends to these eucharistic miracles well i just know personally you know when i was in college we don't need to go into the whole story that would be an episode unto itself but when i was in college i was just you know deciding discerning uh you know which uh denomination have the greatest truth, you know, Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, whatever. And in the end, one of the bigger issues was the Eucharist. And in so much, not that it like was a place that tripped me up, but actually it was an issue that really drew me to the Catholic Church. Um, knowing that as Catholics, we believe that the Eucharist is body, Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. And when we look at John chapter 6, you know, Jesus says, you know, eat my body and drink my blood uh, if you want to have eternal life. And so uh, there's only a few churches, few denomina Christian denominations that even claim to have um, Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist, in communion. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think one time I heard a talk by um, Archbishop Chaput used to be in Rapid City, and he said, these are the, the things about our Catholic faith that um, sometimes we say, well, as Catholics, we believe this. But he said, the, the reality is, this is the truth, and we recognize it as Catholics. So the, the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ, soul and divinity, whether we believe it or not. That yeah. is the reality of what it is. So sometimes people say, though, that they're... Um, uh, they're from uh, the Lutheran background or whatever, and they say, well, I, I have the Eucharist in my church as well. Uh, how, how do you respond to that? Well, I think 
for me, the thing that kind of stands out is, you know, as Catholics, you know, we believe in something called transubstantiation. And so we believe that are we the Eucharist becomes uh, the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And it's the substance or the whatness of the bread and wine is changed from bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. So after church, we don't just put the consecrated host and the consecrated wine. Usually you consume all the consecrated wine, but you don't put the consecrated uh, host like back in the cabinet in the, you know, in the sacristy of the church or whatever. Like we keep it in something called a tabernacle that's kept in the center of the church where we, when you enter into a Catholic church, usually genuflect as an acknowledgement of the presence of Jesus, body, blood, soul, divinity. And so even after the church service is over, we, we, the presence of Jesus is still there in the consecrated host. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Lutheran church, at least at my dad's uh, church growing up, like the, you know, the unused wine would just go back in the, cabinet and the un, uh, unconsumed host would just go back into the cabinet as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think even their theology is not the same as ours about what happens with the Eucharist, that, that Christ is somehow present, but it's not a change of substance where yeah. the bread you disappears. Hear the, you hear the word consubstantiation sometimes in yeah. reference to the Lutheran yeah. doctrine. But, but even apart from that, the, uh, the priesthood is required yeah. to consecrate the elements for the Eucharist. And th that is lacking in the Lutheran Church and all the other Protestant yeah. churches. And we don't need to get into it, but if yeah. you cannot get to Mass on Sunday as a Catholic, and you, but you can find an Orthodox Church, we believe that the Orthodox Church, uh, churches, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, have proper apostolic succession. Mm -hmm. And so their priests can properly change the bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. So if you can't find a, a, a Catholic church, you can fulfill your Sunday obligation by, by going to an Orthodox church. Right, right. All right, so, <laughs> excuse me. Let's move on to the, um, uh, I think one of the most fascinating stories about the Eucharist is found in uh, Luke chapter 24, which is the road to Emmaus. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the risen Lord uh, appears to the two disciples walking on the road back to Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem because Jesus has died and they feel like everything is over now. They've kind of lost hope in him and trust. And he appears and begins to walk beside them and explains how this is none of this is a a tragedy, it's all according to God's plan as foretold long ago by the prophets and the law and the, so forth. The greatest Bible study ever had. Right, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, at the end, they invite him in and it says, he took the bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them, which is the language that we use in the celebration of the Mass, of the Eucharist. And after that, it says, they recognized him. At Finally, at that moment, they realized this is Jesus. And then it says he vanished from their sight. And, and if you look at the Greek, it's it's quite interesting. It says literally, he became invisible to them. Whereas in the English, it usually is translated as he disappeared from their sight, or he yeah. vanished from their sight. Yeah. yeah. So he became invisible, which means he's still there with them, 
but just can't be seen with the eyes. He's invisible, which is in the Eucharist. And that yeah. that is the way that the risen Lord still comes to us and is with us today. Yeah. Even though it's not visible with our eyes, he is truly present there yeah. in the Eucharist. Uh, I, I've heard it said that in some ways, the Eucharist is even a greater humility for Christ than the incarnation. Right, um, Be because he's becoming... Rather than becoming man, something lower on the scale of creation, yeah. he's becoming an inanimate object, turning yeah. himself into food for us. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's, a, there's a great book that has um, the descriptions of the Eucharistic miracles throughout the world, and it has cataloged uh, over a hundred of them, I think it is. And there's, I think there's many more that are not even cataloged in this book. One of the famous people who has written about and uh, put together the stories is Carlos Acutis. He's now blessed. Yeah. And uh, that's another uh, gift that we had on this pilgrimage. We were able to see his body. It's in a church in Assisi. Mm -hmm. And um, we, the, the bishop at his um, uh, beatification ceremony, I guess, affirmed that he is not incorrupt, even though some people think that is the case, but his body has been preserved by um, formaldehyde and things like that. So it's not, it's not that he has an incorrupt body. So he's enclosed in a wax covering uh, uh, that looks like Carlos Acutis, but that's not his actual body that's incorrupt. But anyway, he, he spent a lot of his time uh, he died at a very young age. Yeah, in and, fact, he lived from 1991 until 2006. And so he passed away very young. And so um, he uh, enjoyed uh, computer games. He enjoyed, you know, some other things that, you know, kind of go along with, you know, somewhat modern life. And so he, um, he was a website designer. He, uh, you know, um, did computer programming, um, and yet he had a great devotion to Christ and a great devotion to the Eucharist, and thus he created a website cataloging all of the Eucharistic miracles. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so the um, the Eucharistic miracle in Lanciano, uh, basically the story is there was a priest in the year around 800, and he was having trouble believing that the Eucharist actually became the body of Christ, especially in his own hands. You know, he, think, he thought uh, d that I have this power to change uh, bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. And so as he was saying Mass, when he said the words, this is my body, which is given up for you, and held up the host, it changed into actual flesh in his hands. And then, in, and then the chalice, when he said the words of consecration, it changed into actual blood. And so they've preserved these in a reliquary that you can go to the church and see. And I was privileged to be there. And uh, we celebrated Mass right in front of the Eucharistic miracle. So it was a very great grace. I've always loved this Eucharistic miracle in Lanciano. So uh, there were some scientific studies done of this of these elements in the 1970s and they discovered that the tissue that the that the uh, bread turned into is muscle from the human heart. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there's different parts of the heart that they found in there and the the vagus nerve and so forth and the aorta. And so that um so all all of the uh parts of a of a heart tissue can be found in there that they examine under a microscope. And then as far as the blood, there is um it coagulated into five globules and it has the makeup of normal fresh human blood which is another aspect of this miracle that it's been there for 1200 years and it has not decayed like other human blood would right. if you just yeah. left it sitting around yeah. but it, it still has the um the proteins and chemicals that you would find in fresh human blood even though it's coagulated yeah. and it's type ab which is the same blood type as the blood that's found on the shroud of turin which is the yeah cloth that was wrapped around Jesus, according yeah. to tradition, when he was yeah. buried. That might be another episode. Yeah, we could do another episode on that, for sure. Yeah. Father Beerman is a great lover of the Shroud of Turin. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, then, um, there it was related to this other Eucharistic miracle that took place in Argentina in, I think it was around 1996. It was the time when, um, Archbishop Jorge Bergoglio, who is now Pope Francis, Pope Francis was there. Yeah. There was a host that was dropped on the floor, and it was soiled. And so they were going to dissolve it in water and then pour it into this aquarium, which is the normal way to dispose of the Eucharist that's been soiled or can't be consumed anymore. Yeah. And so after a few days, they looked, and it was not dissolved. Instead, it looked like there was some kind of tissue there with with blood, it was reddish in color. So they sent it to a, a doctor or a chemist who is an expert in human biology as well. And uh, there's a there's you can find a, a YouTube video of the an interview with this doctor. It's in Spanish, but there's subtitles explaining what he discovered. And they didn't tell him what it was. And they said, just examine this and give us a report. What is it? And so he came back and told them. This uh, this sample that you have given me is they are, they are cells from a human heart, and he said normally when you take cells from heart tissue and put them in water it kills them, but these are still alive and they're attempting to beat. And so then they told him what it was that it was from the Eucharist, and he was amazed. And I think he underwent a conversion to the Catholic faith uh, because of that. Then they showed him the slides of this other Eucharistic miracle from the year 800. And he compared them and he said, it's from a man who has been subjected to great torture or distress. And they are, they are cells from the same human being. They're, they are the same person. So, um, so that, you know, that's an amazing thing that, that this Eucharistic miracle from 1996 is the same human being as the one from 800 AD. Yeah. From the same body, yeah. That is amazing. So I have, a, I have a book from the, it's put together by the Vatican, I think, on Eucharistic miracles of the world. Yeah. And some of you have may, may have seen the display that has been traveling around in our diocese yes. during yeah. this year for Eucharistic revival. Um, approximately how many Eucharistic miracles are in that book? 
Like, have there been like ten Eucharistic miracles, or have there been like a hundred? I think there's about a hundred that are listed in this book,、okay. and then it's arranged by country. Okay. But I I thought I would share just a a couple other ones that are maybe not as well known. Okay.、Uh, there's the one in Orvieto, obviously, which is a famous one that that was the beginning of the feast of Corpus Christi. And processions with the Eucharist that that came about because of that Eucharistic miracle, but、uh, here's one that happened in Cascia, in Italy as well, and this was in the year 1330. Cascia is where Saint Rita is from, and it's near Siena, and so there was a priest who was called to bring communion to someone who was sick, and it says he took a consecrated host. And irreverently stuck it in the pages of his breviary, and then went to visit the person. So don't do that. Yeah. So the well, it led to a Eucharistic miracle. Oh, okay. But, but don't do that. So as he got to the house, he heard the man's confession. Then he opened his book to take out the host, and to his great surprise, he found that the the host was stained with blood, and it had dampened the pages. On both sides, where it was stuck in his breviary, and、uh, the priest went to the、uh, Augustinian priory near there to、um, ask forgiveness because he realized he had been、uh, not treating the Eucharist with the gr- the great respect and yeah, reverence, reverence that it should that have had.、Yeah. So anyway, they have pictures of the the pages of the breviary, and and in the image in the blood stain, there's actually an image of a man's face. From the left side and the right side, from the two pages、uh, that were taken from this breviary, so that's kind of an interesting one. That's pretty cool.、Uh, another one happened in Rimini, which was around the time of Saint Anthony of Padua, so what, about twelve twenty seven. What country is that? This is also in Italy. Okay. So Saint Anthony was working in this、uh, city at that time. He he eventually ended up in Padua, which is also in Italy. And there was a there was a man who was in the community who who was a heretic. I guess is how they describe him. He did not believe in the Eucharist. He did not. He always was opposing Saint Anthony and all his work that he was doing. And so finally,、um, Saint Anthony issued a challenge to him. Uh, to show the truth of the faith, especially with regard to the Eucharist, and so here's what the man said: If you produce a miracle and demonstrate that communion truly is the body of Christ, I will renounce my heresy and immediately convert to the Catholic faith. Famous and, last words. And so here's here's the bet that he made. He says, "I'm going to bring my donkey, and I won't feed it for、uh, three days." And then we will meet in the public square. Poor donkey. And I'm going to hold some hay, and then you will hold the Eucharist on your side, and we'll see which one the donkey turns to. And so Saint Anthony agreed to it. And so as the day came, a huge crowd of people were gathered, including the this heretic, and they brought the donkey in. And Saint Anthony held a monstrance containing the Blessed Sacrament or the Eucharist. So、uh, they brought in the mule or the donkey, and here's what Saint Anthony said to the donkey: "In the name of your Creator, whom I, unworthy as I am, 
hold in my hands, I order you, come forward immediately and render homage to the Lord with all due respect, so that heretics and evildoers will understand that all creatures must humble themselves before their Creator, whom priests hold in their hands at the altar. And so the donkey ignored the hay that was being held up by the other man. Immediately, the animal came forward, approached the priest, bent its front legs, and knelt down before the Eucharist. <laughs> awesome. So this man was true to his word. He threw himself at the saint's feet, renounced the error of his ways, and from then on he became uh, one of the most zealous co-workers with St. Anthony in spreading the gospel. So awesome. Did he also get a tonsure? Uh, it doesn't say anything about that, but okay. I suppose he probably did. Okay. So, tonsure is a haircut where you shave off the top or leave a rim of hair, right? Right, yeah. The, so, the Franciscans used to wear those. Okay. So, I'm glad as diocesan priests we don't have to. It's a, it's a way of being detached from everything, even a, a nice hairstyle. Yes. It's definitely not a nice hairstyle. Right. Anyways... Uh, so uh, the, I think I find it fascinating to read about these Eucharistic miracle stories. And a lot of people, uh, Catholics and otherwise, say, no one's ever told me this before. But I think it's one of the, the treasures of our faith that, that um, Jesus grants these miracles from time to time to strengthen us yeah. in our faith. That, that every time at Mass... The bread and wine is changed into his body, blood, soul, and divinity. That is really yeah. Jesus present there. Yeah, I would completely agree. Eucharistic miracles are a great gift from our Lord because it um, it affirms what we already believe about the Eucharist. You know, some people, you know, when they get into kind of the theology or the understanding or the teaching of the Eucharist will say, well, then, you know, aren't Catholics cannibals? Yep, I've heard that too. And, made. and, you know, in some ways the Eucharistic miracles, like, help with this in that, you know, if someone were to consume, you know, a host, a consecrated host or, or a consecrated wine that have become you know, human blood or human body, then, you know, it would be, you know, in some ways that person would be a cannibal. But because Jesus comes to us in the Eucharist, usually under the appearance of bread and wine, you know, we are not cannibals as yeah. Catholics. Yeah, I think um, cannibalism is eating the dead flesh of someone after they've died. Whereas yeah. for us, we are consuming the living body blood Soul yeah. and divinity. Well, that's what that scientist said, right? It's like living cells, yeah, right? Yeah. Like living but, heart cells. But it's 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 a change of substance, meaning the the appearance is what we're eating and what it tastes like is bread. But the reality is it's not dead flesh of Jesus. It's the entire Jesus who is alive and risen from the dead, including yeah. receiving his soul and divinity. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's really the key with the Eucharist. It's not just the flesh of Jesus that's important. It's receiving God uh, by means of consuming uh, his flesh and blood. Uh, 
Now, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas actually has one of his questions is a discussion of Eucharistic miracles and saying, is Christ still present in those Eucharist uh, that have changed in a miraculous way? And he would say, the, the, uh, yes, Jesus is still present. Just the, the appearances are changed. And so now it doesn't look like bread and taste like bread anymore. It looks like flesh. But Jesus is present under the appearances uh, as truly substantially present body, blood, soul, and divinity. Yeah. And so, it, so it's just the, those things become the species or the appearances of the Eucharist. But underlying the substance is still the same. It's still Jesus whole and entirely present. Uh, the the same underlying substance that every Catholic receives right. at every Mass, you know, Sunday and weekdays if you choose to go. Right. Um, and so, I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it blows my mind that we get to receive the creator of the universe, the, the God who created everything, the one that loves us more than we can imagine, that we get to receive in body, blood, soul, and divinity at every Mass. Right, um, right. I mean, it's it's an unfathomable gift. Right. Um, and and even further, the, uh, the opportunity to spend time with Jesus in prayer, which is adoration, uh, you know, with, with Jesus present in the Eucharist, that, that we actually can communicate with him uh, through, through the means of prayer, which is mostly mind and willpower. Yeah. yeah, you mentioned it earlier that as Catholics we receive Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity at the Mass and the Eucharist, but uh, it's kind of made a comeback, uh, you know, I would say in the last 20 years, Eucharistic adoration. So we put a, the consecrated host, Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity, into what's called a monstrance. We set the monstrance on the altar, and then we can worship, you know, Jesus, um, who is God, the second person in the Trinity. Right. And monstrance comes from the Latin word monstrare, which means to show. It doesn't mean it's a monster, but it's <laughs> monstrance. <laughs> So it's it's demonstrating, yeah, it's demonstrating <laughs> or showing uh, the body of Christ, even though all we can see is still the appearances, which is has the appearances of bread. Yeah. But um, but in looking at the host, we can we yeah. can see Jesus in our with our faith, I suppose, yeah. and recognize His presence. Yeah, I always say that you know the the Eucharist is either the greatest gift on this side of heaven or it's the greatest lie that has ever been told. Like, you can't be lukewarm about the Eucharist. Right, yeah. You know, because if it is what we believe as Catholics, if it, you know, if the Eucharist is Jesus' Bible, soul, and divinity, is the greatest gift to receive him into our very bodies. Mm -hmm. the, the second person, the Trinity. And, you know, I always think of, like, Moses with the burning bush. Like, what did Moses do? Once he realized what was going on, he took off his shoes. Like, he, like, did a face plant, you know, in the ground. Because, like, God was right before me. He was in the presence of God. And at in the Eucharist, we are in the presence of God. And so, um, there's a, uh, I think the current tradition is to 
make a little bow before you receive the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. I know some people genuflect, or some people even receive kneeling. Right. Um, and it's just like, but all of those are proper gestures with our bodies before God Himself. Right. Yeah, and, and along those lines, sometimes people say, "Well, they 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 treat the Eucharist as like a." A devotion like like a devotion to saint jude for example and they'll say well that's not my devotion that's not my cup of tea i i follow christ well i don't think you can say that about the eucharist because the eucharist is jesus so if we have love for jesus and devotion then we do for the eucharist because that's who it is yeah and if it if as catholics if we're wrong that means billions of people throughout history have in some ways, you know, sin against the Ten Commandments because we've worshipped this little piece of bread as if it were God himself. Right. right. And so you cannot be lukewarm about the Eucharist. It's either the greatest gift on this side of heaven or it's the greatest lie that has ever been told. Right. And we're not wrong because the Eucharistic miracles illustrate that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, thanks for uh, listening in, and, and hopefully you have some stories of Eucharistic miracles yourself. And in other words, how has Jesus touched you or moved your soul through the Eucharist? And uh, we'd be interested in hearing some of those. Uh, And if he hasn't, you know, pray for it. And if you have the opportunity, you know, join in a Eucharistic procession or or, um, go to Eucharistic adoration if it's available near you. Right, yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of the uh, priests and seminarians receive their vocation by spending time in front of the Eucharist and that, that Jesus calls them from the Eucharist to become priests. Yeah, so it's exactly. a great gift. Yeah. So, well, thanks again for spending time with us. Yeah, thank you. And remember, ad maiorum dei gloriam in all things. Take two. <laughs> is do I look, looking over? Do I look that, that ridiculous? About, yeah, exactly. Okay, great. <laughs> oh, I can't see your eyes. Now I can. <laughs> Peekaboo. Okay.